Rusty Quill presents. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. America, the land of dreams and nightmares. It's a place where you can sometimes wake up a different person, or less or more of a person than you were yesterday. It's a big, flat expanse of disagreements and vendettas, sandwiched between two great mountain ranges and the vast oceans beyond. It's a land of deities and demons, great tragedies and little triumphs. Too dangerous to live in, too beautiful to leave, and home to all else the greater world doesn't want. It's on the great plains of this country where we resume our story. The tale of a young person named Alex who is traveling across this country to the resting place of a barely known father. The hope is to find some deeper understanding of self through this visitation, but the paths ahead are riddled with pitfalls and parties of a dubious nature marks have been set into flesh that leave the scent of blood to linger on the wind, drawing forth a greater evil from the depths of the American heartlands, a thing beyond reckoning which must be faced in time. But, before all that, let me remind you that today's story is the second part of a four-part series. My suggestion is that you return here after enjoying part one, but there's no worries if you'd like to listen out of order. We here at the West Side Fairy Tales sometimes eat our dessert before dinner as well. Now, on to our monthly recommendations. This month's random horror recommendation is Francis Ford Coppola's 1979 opus on the Vietnam War, Apocalypse Now. The film follows Captain Willard, Martin Sheen, on a journey through the heart of war itself as he travels upriver through Vietnam and then Cambodia to find and possibly terminate, a rogue American army officer named Colonel Kurtz. For those of you who are hesitant to watch a war movie, don't worry, this really isn't much of a war movie. 
It's a film with no good or bad guys where the gray moralities of extended conflict rot away at the hearts and minds of all involved. This decay is paralleled in the deteriorating mental state of the main character and his inevitable confrontation with Kurtz in the movie's climax. It's a film I really can't recommend enough, and I'm sure most of you would enjoy it if you gave it a chance. It's streaming right now, too, so it shouldn't be too hard to get a hold of. This month's book recommendation is the 2001 novel American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Continuing the theme of travel story recommendations for the duration of Toda Americana, this story details the journey of a man named Shadow across America as the newly appointed bodyguard of a mysterious and somewhat magical man named Mr. Wednesday. The loose purpose of Wednesday's trip is to visit old acquaintances throughout America, all of whom Shadow discovers are the fading incarnations of old world deities like Egyptian, Norse, or Greek gods. These folks have found themselves at odds with the gods of the New World, things like money, power, and the internet. The real heart of the story is the battle between old and new, and the self you find when you finally come to terms with your past, your present, and your future, amongst other things. As with most Gaiman books, it's not terribly long, and it's very easy to read. I burned through it in something like a week, and I'm sure you'd love it if you gave it a chance. And if you're looking for a great way to listen to this book, the way you listen to my stories here, then stick around for a great offer later in the podcast. Now, without further ado, today's story, Tota Americana, Part 2. searched this earth and the wilds about it long for signs of its true masters. And so I found them on a path of darkness that wound through the forest of the mind. I came upon a red-eyed woman sitting, starving beside the road. I asked her name and what she wanted. Witcham, she said of her name, and she said she simply wanted enough and she asked me what I might bring in trade. Further down the road, I came upon a man who had enough, and who hid his purple eyes behind dark glasses. I asked him his name and what he wanted. Yith, he said of his name, and he said he simply wanted more. And he looked into my heart and told me what I desired and offered me a gamble to have it. I left these two behind me and came upon twins playing in the dirt. The boy on the left smiled wide at me, his green eyes shining, and the girl on the right merely frowned and bent herself more intently to her work. My name is Zogroth, the girl said without my question and I want to be left to my work. And I saw her muddling in the dirt, scrawling patterns of infinite complexity and reducing them until they became as nothing. But before she could finish, her brother kicked the pattern to pieces and she began another. He grinned at me and left the path, though I could still feel him there. 
My brother's name is Isbuk, the girl answered on his behalf. And he desires for my game to never end, lest he become bored. I left this girl to her thankless toiling. I found myself at the end of the path, which was also the beginning, and there stood a great column of black marble, and on that marble lay engraved the signs of the five, and before it, in the dust and dirt, sat the fifth, the last, and forgotten god. Her lips split, and no word given was not a secret or a lie. But she cast her yellow eyes upon me, and I knew her name, his name, their name. Their name is Hervat, and they are the missing god which binds the lesser four, whose names are Witcham of the Hand of Sticks, and Yith of the Blind Horizon, and Zogroth of the lined circle, and his book of the starred crescent. All who are bound by Havat, the missing god, whose sign is the divided sun. And she spoke one last time to me, and all the world broke inside my mind as a fire, and I knew beyond knowing though my mouth was no longer my own. Common Leads The Book of the Five I love America. I really do. Not many people agree with that statement, and I heard some damn fair arguments against that mentality in my time, but I just can't help myself. I've seen most of it, and generally, the good outweighs the bad. I won't try to convince you. It's just sort of something you got to come around to on your own, if you ever do. The first time for me was a couple months after I left Cincinnati. Hunger drove me down off the rails into a farmyard in Brimfield, Illinois. I negotiated a few dollars, a meal and a straw tick in a hayloft for a week's worth of work clearing the woods near the farm. The guy that hired me, a red-faced drunk named Ernest Neggett, said that was about usual for kids coming down off the rails. Adults got more, he said, but they had to find lodging off his land. He warned me against looking around town for better deals, on account of the sheriff didn't much appreciate drifters and, anyway, there weren't any. I believed him, and honestly, it was more than I expected to get. I'm not a big person, and I especially wasn't then, skinny as I was from living off of scraps, so there wasn't work I could do other folk couldn't do better. I think he knew that, and didn't really expect much from me. Maybe he saw taking me on as a way to keep an eye on someone who might otherwise steal what they needed. I don't know but I worked as hard as I could, and he respected that. I stayed on about a month and a half longer than I expected, until he tried to make a pass at me at dinner one evening. It wasn't anything gross or even unexpected. Once he found which side of Alex I swung to in a biological sense, 
but I declined, and it made things awkward. So I left. I hitched into Peoria with $25 in my pocket and maybe a few more pounds on me than when I'd arrived. I bought shoes, respectable traveling clothes, and a night in a hotel without spending even half the money. My father's death remained on my mind, however, and before I knew it, I was on a Greyhound south toward St. Louis and then west, heading for Kansas. I got a burger and fries in a no-name town out there in the great flat expanse of middle America. Saying the place was inside the town was generous, really. The town itself was nothing more than a few white box buildings a mile down the road. All the rest of everything was rolling green and gold, prairie grass and the occasional brown stubble of rock. For all our efforts to tame this land, we hadn't managed to do much of anything to this place but put a road on it. There was, still is, power out there in those big lonely parts of America. It's not a thing with a name that can be parsed, discussed, and written out in fairy tale terms. It's fresh wind and raw, healthy dirt, and all the things, vicious and meek, that grow out of it to walk the land. The ideas that come when you realize you're in a place where you can do anything, think anything, be anything, and those freedoms are so visceral and real that to lose them would be to lose something more precious than blood or bone, that maybe you don't need people, that you can be a raw and wild thing out there in the expanse, living by the strength of your hands and mind, by the courage of your own convictions. It was a moment I had chewing through that pure Americana of yellow cheese and ground and flame-grilled beef, where I suddenly knew who I was. I knew who I could be and that maybe I didn't have to be a girl named Alex, or even a boy named Alex, if I didn't want to. I could be a little bit of both or neither at all, and damn anybody who told me otherwise. If they thought they could tell me who I was, and I didn't know who they might be, at least not then, then they could march their hairy asses out here to where there wasn't anywhere to hide from God and see what he had to say about it. See if he could even talk anymore to begin with, or if he cared to. I thought about my dad going out every day with the other G-men to scour all this empty earth for the few bad seeds daring to plant themselves. I thought of him dying for it in the nowhere town I was heading to down the line. And I thought of Mom, brain so rotted she'd never recognize me again, and all that she lost because Dad thought he could be a hero. And what she'd never have had if he didn't think he could be a hero and was just like anybody else. People who only wanted the lights to come on when they hit switches. People who just wanted good money from good jobs to go to nice places with nice people and maybe screw a couple kids into them so they could fill this great, unforgiving emptiness with people, so they could tap into the raw, writhing power of America itself to fill the world with mediocrity. And I thought of the other possibilities, the despots and madmen who might push all this to its maximum potential, use it to wash over the world and to wash the world of whatever they found unclean, 
to make a spotless blue orb to leave spinning cold and lonely on the black curtain of the abyss. I sat there and washed my burger and fries down with a Coke, sitting on my lonesome and the most lonesome part of America, figuring that maybe a country full of relaxed nobodies isn't the worst thing in the world. Victories can't all be landslides, and maybe a bunch of people that just want to leave others alone and just be left alone is a win in the grand scheme of things. Men like my father tried to stop the bad guys and, well, sometimes the bad guys, or gals, stop them. Maybe most folk just did their best to keep out of the way. Maybe. Maybe. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. My thoughts fell apart there as the sun drew the shadows on the prairie long and a small herd of deer broke the horizon and trampled down toward me and then back over the ridge from where they'd come. Something small and dark followed in their wake moving in the long, sinewy motions of a predator. And that thing's shadow followed it, tied to its feet by stronger thread than any fairy magic might produce. And I found that I loved America, even though maybe I shouldn't. My Greyhound ticket lasted me just to the other side of Kansas City, and by the time I reached Topeka, I was walking and riding the rails again. I got a feel for the storm clouds before they found me. Out on the plains, the thunder comes in on sweet-smelling wind, waves of cold air knocking down every blade of grass for miles. Your hair stands up before that first crack, and then, boom, here comes the lightning. I ducked and covered for days beating feet from shelter to shelter and sometimes walking through blackout storms, 
guiding myself by the faint white afterimage of the highway dividing line, floating before my eyes after a lightning strike. Not a soul on the road for days then, and the few towns I stopped in seemed dead, but for the diners and dives. I tucked recyclables I found on the roadside into my pack to cover a meal here and there, a night out of the rain. Kindness was in short supply out there in the sticks, that deep part of America. It's out there that you get the pulse of the nation, you know, and folks were scared right then about a lot of stuff. Men with their fingers on buttons, men with a mind to stand up for themselves, men standing up for their right to not have to stand up for anything at all. I didn't have much to do with any of that, but meanness came my way anyway. Strange boy, as I was then, found little love out there on the road, less on the rails. I had as much luck as I didn't getting on and off out there in Kansas. Railway police always close by with flashlights, and the men and women I found riding the rails had been scared mean by ill treatment. I got kicked in the face so hard I chipped a tooth outside of a town called Marlow that, as far as I know, doesn't even exist on the maps they sell these days. I've tried to find it since, for my own reasons, but no luck. The man who kicked me was maybe fifty years old, squat and beer-bellied from some sort of swelling sickness that had nearly shut his eyes wholesale. I thought he was dead, in all honesty, and bloated up from riding out the storms in an open car. But the second I threw my bag onto the decking, he grumbled something like, Man! And planted a boot in my jaw that nearly snapped my neck. I nearly got sucked under the wheels. The train was running at the moment, and I was trying to get on while it picked up steam and had to let go of my pack to keep my legs from getting caught by the wheels. There wasn't much in there other than a few... Odd recyclables I'd picked up and half a sandwich. Two cleaned out beer bottles I'd filled with drinking water and jammed up with wine corks. I kept my money and that pretty knife on me as a precaution that had just then paid in full. I lay there on the pea gravel and shoots of grass in the train yard for five or six minutes, my thoughts sloshing around in my head like half-clotted candle wax. The shot from the bloated man had given me a mild concussion, and my neck was too stiff to move. When I finally managed to stand, soaked to the bone and freezing from the rain, I cradled my jaw in my hand as though it had fall off at any second. Sleep got to me while I walked. Oily tendrils flicked at my thoughts, dialing parts of me down like lantern wicks. Some dimmed, others died entirely, until I found I hardly knew myself. I understand now that I was losing consciousness from head trauma, but at the time I thought I was being replaced by something. My damaged, bleeding brain told me it was losing pieces, shedding them like old skin to make way for something new. I knew in my rising delirium that I would wake as another person by morning or not at all. But I woke as Alex, 
sick from pain and shivering, maybe to death inside the cracked ribs of an old nail barrel at the corner of the train yard. Filthy water had pulled up in the barrel, trickling over a patchwork of cracked cement beside me. Foundation of an abandoned train platform. Another ten or fifteen minutes of that deep, senseless sleep, and I would have started to drown. It wasn't the water that woke me, though. It was the music. I spit a mouthful of coppery water into a night so inky dark, I may as well have been in a coal mine back home. But I could see some, aided by the occasional lightning strike and the flickering glow of a fire just a few yards away. Somebody had broken and lit a stack of old pallet wood. It smoked and smelled like rot, but the smallest promise of heat got me moving out the barrel. So she didn't die, said a voice from the other side of the flame. I dragged myself hand over hand, feeling tender bits of life flowing back into me from the heat radiating out of the dry cement. That heat washed the numbness out of my limbs and let me feel how sick and hurt I really was. I might have been close to dying. She's got them raccoon eyes, the man said. His voice had a crack and crumble to it that mirrored the fire between us. Dead or dying, looks like, but maybe not. She know better than me, I suppose. Won't she? I crawled up beside the fire and lay on my belly until my left arm felt near burning. Then I flipped over. After a while, my eyes started working right, and I saw the fire smoke catching in odd patterns beneath the wood thatching of the old roof. Frozen drops of tar hung three, four, even ten inches in places, casting shadows that maybe they shouldn't have been able to cast. My damaged brain saw teeth, claws. I don't think I'm dying, I said, as much to him as to myself. Could be wrong, though. Probably you ain't dying here, then, he said. Prophets have trouble lying, say true, even to themselves at times. This one had the problem himself a long time ago, but got cured of it by taking on other problems. That's a way for it to happen, yes. I saw little through the smoke, a broad-brimmed hat, the thin tracings of a white man's face, a guitar. His fingers caught the smoke and glided through it, seeming more in number for the weak light of the fire. A tattoo shone in the darkness, somehow darker than anything else, and a phrase worked in my mind. Blind Horizon. He strummed a deep, bluesy chord, then worked up the neck in fits and starts. The effect was a song almost without rhythm or with many rhythms that echoed in my head like the aftershocks of my own concussion. Got a trade for you, he said. Come by it honest, so it's a value I want in trade. He leaned over the fire, still working chords and scales into the strings, 
and I saw his eyes. They'd been a man's eyes, were still set into a man's face, but the irises were torn so that they hung laced over his pupils like pale blue nets. Those nets still lived, too, and stretched and writhed as he looked me over. I looked back up to the roof. What? I asked. I ain't got much, and what I have I'm not keen on parting with. A little something you ain't. He hit an ugly chord, and the melody fell apart in his hands. He cleared his throat. Ah, no. This one seems you've been touched by something a little darker than sits at this table. Claims been made. This one doesn't need more folk following him around. Hands out. I raised my finger to the cut the puppet girl had left beneath my eye. It had healed ugly, a thick bit of purple scar you could see at a distance. What's that you're playing? I asked. No words to put upon it, he said, the rhythm flickering back to life. Some sounds like this live in the world, but the marriage has yet to happen that'll bear the child. Then they might know it by what it is, but until then, it's just mine. Until the trade. Are you going to kill me? I asked. And eat you? No. He said. Nor take from you either. Dishonest trade is bad trade. Theft ruins the meat. This one prefers sweeter things and freely given. Betting is fine, but betting against children is poor sport. Sourness comes with rank deception and bad luck. He paused. A lesson some learn late. So what? Then, I asked. Indeed, he said, strumming the guitar blankly now, quarter notes and alternating scales, up, up, down, down. The simple meter turned my mind and my stomach with it. How about truth for truth? Old game, simple game. Fine, I said. You first. What is your stake against a falsehood? He asked. Whatever little thing you want, I said. The world swam and I felt sick again. It was no stretch to say I didn't think I would ever see morning. I thought that maybe I wasn't even awake, talking to this odd man, but instead drowning to death peacefully back in the barrel. High stakes, he said. Anything I lose will be the death of me, I said, the words only somewhat my own. Again came that odd feeling that something else was using me to talk. I think the man felt it too, because he shuddered and the music stalled as he regained himself. Fair, he said. The one who proposed the game will lead. He 
strummed a slow chord that rang out and slowly died. You are headed west to go east, hunting for a dead man to find a woman that has never lived. True, I said, a thin needle of pain, more subtle and somehow worse than the dull headache from the concussion, pierced the flesh behind my left eye. What are you going to stake against the wrong answer? Safe passage, he said, and the promise that you'll see at least one more sunrise. Fair, I said. Again, the needle. I parted my lips in hesitation, and a force unlike any I'd ever known pushed my teeth apart, worked my jaw like a sock puppet. You are a self-made man, built and broken by your own stupid greed, I said an unfamiliar voice rolling out of my chest like thunder. The man struck a sour chord, and I saw his shattered eyes glaring at me. Betrayed by family. Family betrayed, fingers blackened by addiction's sugar. True, he said, his fingers working the guitar again. His voice was clipped, raw. Gathering winds will flutter your sails, but your ship will never float. And death will find you before you ever find your father. I had no clue what he meant in the slightest, but a single golden word formed in my throat. True, I said, and I knew it was, if not why. The thought of dying before I reached the place where my father died weighed on me heavier than I thought it might. I imagined myself rotting beside these very tracks, eyes as torn as the man beside the firelight. The needle pressure built into a spike that threatened to turn my brain to jelly. Blood welled from my palm where my fingernails had cut into the skin. I saw the voice this time the one that didn't outright belong to me, a set of golden teeth hovering in a haze of cloud, two rings of mismatched molars and incisors that belonged in no human mouth, violently smashing against each other. My mouth worked in sympathy with this dream maw, and I spoke. Before the five, your name is Nine Fingers, I said, and he stopped playing entirely his pick hand hanging out in space. I saw then that he wasn't using a pick, but his own thick, black fingernail. He used all his fingers to play, save his missing pinky finger, which ended in a stub just past the knuckle. Every other fingernail was just as long and thick and black as the thumb. But you are stained cheaply and self-marked. I continued, sworn to one and declared to another, wanted by neither. The voice barreled out of my chest like golden fire, scorching my throat and radiating out of my eyes and nose and ears. The spike behind my eye felt like a stake now, horned with splinters and being hammered by a mallet right through my brain. My body seized with every word. My arms, 
tucked up against my sides in tiny fists. Your name is stolen and will be stolen and stolen again, I said. Every soul who finds your voice will speak with it more beautifully than you were ever capable, adding to it and changing it so that it will be as though you never were at all. There will be no unbroken line that leads to you, no memory of you save for in the Book of the Fifth, the Book of the Forgotten, written by the missing god. Havat, he shouted, standing and smashing the guitar into the concrete floor. Fragile wood burst into splinters that rained down over me, and he flung the corpse of the thing into the night. Lightning followed, and silence. No thunder. I lay on the ground, teeth chattering like those of the thing I'd seen. The floating mouth. True. He whispered eventually. He strode over top me, and I could see him better now, though there was not much more to see. He was a man, and perhaps... No more than that. Something had stained his fingers in the past, torn his eyes, but little else. He glared down at me and pointed a finger at my eyes. I could only watch. Your brain will turn to jelly, he hissed. True, I said between shuddering half-breaths. Every person you love will leave you early and take some of your heart with them when they go. True. My eyes were watering. I had chewed off the tip of my tongue and my mouth had filled with blood. Still, I spoke clearly, blood spattering up onto my cheeks. You will have a child, a daughter, and never know her as a woman. He said, leaning over me now. His eyes were full of hate, but not for me, though I was catching the brunt of it. And if you ever set eyes on her, if you ever put her name on your tongue, that would put its mark on you will find her. It will make a toy of her before your eyes, and it will do such unto you with her body that generations will shudder in horror at the retelling of it. True, I said. There was nothing but pain now. At some point, I had wet myself. The voice in my head grew cold, distant. It had eaten something of me. I felt it. It was gone now, a chunk of me, gnawed down to the bone. The feeling passed, and I was empty again, a husk of myself. Alone. The voice would not answer for me again. The man, nine fingers, saw this in me and smiled. Perhaps this one might help himself to you yet, he said, eyes following something I couldn't see through the night. He knelt over me, knees alongside my flanks. His teeth were yellow, even brown in some places. 
His face seemed familiar to me, not in a friendly way, but as though he'd been pointed out to me a long time ago. His breath smelled sweet, citrusy. You are a girl. False, I said, talking without thinking. It felt no different to me than when the voice spoke with my mouth, but there was no pain, no burning in my chest. I was alone, still, but the word came simple and clean and true. His face softened. False, he repeated, nodding and leaning back to take something from the inside pocket of his jacket. A slice of orange. False. No occasion better than now to mark this one. Make him smaller than he could ever be. False. Fine. Live then. He pushed the orange between my teeth and I bit into it involuntarily. Sweetness unlike any I'd ever known filled my mouth and me and I fell into oblivion. I woke sick and drawn the next morning, but alive. I slept on an old sleeping bag, musty from use but warm. Dim blue daylight shone over the remnants of a ring of fire that had burned around me in the night. Ash and a few small embers remained. My head rang, and I was terribly thirsty, but I was alive. He'd stripped me naked in the night to dry my clothes along the ring of the fire, which embarrassed me some, though I don't believe he did anything, would, do anything, and toured while I was out. I found and drank the entirety of a canteen he'd left beside my bedroll. Beside that was a flat scrap of wood I recognized as a piece of his broken guitar. A smooth river stone lay on the wood beside a message written in charcoal. All debts repaid. Keep the stone, and the stone will keep you. I picked up this little stone and saw a simple engraving on one side, a circle with a single line cutting through the center. It looked hand-carved and old, but it felt hard and warm between my fingers, a solid thing in a world of maybes and slim second chances. I dressed and dropped it in the pocket opposite the knife. Well, folks, that was uh, Tota Americana Part 2. What did you think? Have you ever come across odd folks, good or bad, while traveling alone out in the world? Have you ever schooled a black-fingered demon so hard he smashed his guitar over it? Let me know in the West Side Fairy Tales discussion group, which we call the West Side Fairy Tales Whore and Lit Club on Facebook. We have a regular page there under West Side Fairy Tales, but the Whore and Lit Club is a great place to talk with other fans about the episodes, the recommendations, and even start up your own conversations about horror and writing and whatever else comes to mind. You can also send me a message personally at westsidefairytales at gmail.com or hop on Twitter 
at WS Fairy Tales or Instagram at Westside Fairy Tales. If you like the show, please take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes. I read literally every comment, and it's a great way to help us rise through the ratings. We've been growing quite a bit lately, but we still have a long way to go, and that minute or so you spend on iTunes could really make the difference. If you really like the show and just want to send us some cash, then hop on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash westsidefairytales. We have tons of additional content for you to access there, basically upping your West Side Fairy Tales intake to four audio programs per month at the $5 level. For just a buck, you get early access to the regular show and access to update audio where I ramble and try to get you to laugh. You'll also get early access to the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club audio cast where I go in-depth on the month's book and random horror recommendations. And for those of you who aren't on Patreon and don't already know, the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club podcast is coming to the main feed this month. It's going to be in addition to the normal podcast, and don't worry, it won't be replacing the West Side Fairy Tales or detracting from it at all. Really, it's just a way for me to connect with you guys in a more casual way so you can get to know me better. The Lit Club podcasts aren't necessary to understand the West Side Fairy Tales canon either, so Feel free to skip them if you aren't interested, but thanks ahead of time if you decide to check them out. Next month, we're bringing you the story of a young girl seemingly trapped on a train platform in a small town in middle America, and how Alex tries to help her. Though Alex's good intentions may not be rewarded in the way you expect. So, tune in the first Friday of May for the continuation of our current story, Toda Americana Part 3. And, as always, stay safe out there. Westside Fairy Tales is written, read, scored, and produced by Tyler Bell. Episode artwork by Yui Breedlove. All content here in copyright 2019, Tyler Bell.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast. Due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.